I love meeting people. I love watching people eat my food. I find that quite a privilege to cook for people and just to watch the joy in the meeting. It. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked about career changes quite a bit over the last few years. Those moving sideways in the food industry, those leaving it, those chancing their arm on a career in food. The pandemic forced people to think differently, try new things and look for another means to make an income. What's that transformation like to leave a career and delve into a life in food? Sue Barclay is the owner of Piccolo Deli in Mount Victoria. Sue, how are you? Very well, Huck, and thank you very much for having me as part of your podcast. It's great to have you on the show. You've had a fascinating transition at a strange period in our lives, um, changing careers into the food industry. Um, What triggered that change? Um, Well, um, as you know, I had a career formerly in academia, but I think deep down I'd always wanted to have my own business and I'd always wanted to be um, have a cafe. You know, it's like the pipe dream, isn't it? Something you always wanted to do. And I reached all my goals that I'd wanted in my previous career and an opportunity came up to get a little cafe in the village where I live. So I thought it was perfect timing. But, of course, I didn't see what was on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> well, um it's a, a beautiful little building that you have the cafe in and you took over the the cafe in 2020 just as just before the pandemic landed take us back to that period of time what was it like having changed careers and then a pandemic land um well for the first two weeks in the cafe it was great and you know there was rumblings of the pandemic overseas but we kept being assured everything was safe and fine so we had originally ended intended to take over the cafe in November 2019, but due to, you know, delays in the process of buying the cafe and then, of course, the bushfires, which were quite, and the village and surrounding areas were quite heavily impacted, things got delayed. So, of course, by March, we finally managed to get the keys to the cafe and take over the business. So we had um, two weeks, which I could say say was a honeymoon period of settling in, getting off, finding my feet with the business. And then all of a sudden we had the lockdowns. So we went from trading five days a week to wondering what on earth we were going to do. And um, But in a lot of ways, it was quite positive because it allowed us to change the way Cafe was going to be operated very quickly. But what it also allowed me to do was get to meet the locals without the stress of running a business at full, you know, full kilt all the time. So I think after the initial shock, we decided, I decided there had to be some positives with the business that would come out of it. Tell us about those changes that you were able to implement um, to build the sort of business that you wanted to have there. Okay. Well, we were allowed, obviously, because of the fact we had to become a takeaway business very quickly. And that allowed me to have time to change the menu gradually and also to take things off. I mean, being one of two cafes at that stage in a very small village, I was very much aware when I took over that I wasn't going to be able to make any significant changes quickly, that I was going to have to work with the locals and gradually change things. So I, because with the pandemic, like we went to takeaway, and then also 
I had to reduce the hours of the cafe because there wasn't the passing trade. But this allowed me to simplify the menu right down that had been offered by the previous owner. So we could take off things like, you know, just ham and cheese croissants because we couldn't get access to fresh croissants as quickly and easily and they weren't moving. It allowed me to have more time, I think, to actually become more confident in baking my own cakes as well. So I was allowed to change from buying cakes being brought in as they were previously to actually making my own cakes and also getting confidence making coffee. You know, I mean, I had done all the courses. I'd had a couple of weeks working in the cafe before we took over. But to get that confidence of churning out coffee one after the other without the pressure of a line coming out the door was very useful. I want to explore what you've created there and particularly with the baking side of things and and becoming part of the community since then. But take us back to when you were young. What what sort of role did food play in your family? It's very important in my family. I grew up in the UK and um, my nana was the most amazing cook. She lived in a little tiny terrace house in Lancashire and she had virtually no kitchen. She had no fridge. And she used to turn, cook the most amazing roast dinners, and but every and every meal was a feast of just very simple home cooked food out of this tiny little alcove of a kitchen, and of course every meal was came with a compulsory pile of bread and butter on the side. But I always remember sitting down to just amazingly simple roast dinners and beautiful trifles. In fact, I've never been able to replicate my nana's trifles. Um, and my mother was also a superb cook. She grew up in a farm in Lincolnshire. She was very much into cooking primary ingredients. And she could make food stretch. You know, she'd cook a roast on a Sunday. It'd be braised what was left on a Tuesday, a Monday or a Tuesday. And by Wednesday, what was left again would be turned into little rissoles. But there was no waste and everything was always with primary ingredients. And I think that's where my love of food as a child, just very simple home cooking, but done well and done without any waste whatsoever. has always been important to me with food. And one of the things I do remember of like being a light bulb moment with food as a child, my father went to work in Spain. We used to go across for holidays to visit him. And I remember being exposed to tapas and this amazing explosion of flavours beyond, which was a very simple food at home, beautiful food, but then this change of flavours and the getting, tasting olive oil and balsamic vinegar and beautiful marinated olives and things for the first time when I was about 10 or 11 was quite amazing. What led to a move to Australia? Uh, my father came to work in Australia and when I was in my teens, he was part of putting a tunnel and tracks on electrification of railways in the Blue Mountains. So it's quite ironic. Eventually, I've ended up living near where he used to work in the 1970s. Briefly at the top of the show, we mentioned that you had a huge career change. Tell us a bit about, about your career as an academic. Well, I went into academia when my children started school. Before that, I'd been in banking and I'd always loved art and history. So when my youngest child went to school, I went to university and did a degree in art history. That led to an honours and then eventually into a PhD And then eventually I ended up working for the University of Western Sydney, um, tutoring and then lecturing. And 
being involved in, you know, developing a passion for learning, but also teaching some of the new teachers coming through into the system as well later on. So, but it allowed me to meet different people from a huge range of different backgrounds and explore my love of art and history to a level I never thought possible. Well, um, you um, are a doctor of philosophy. How have your learnings and and understandings, um, have, have they helped with what you're doing now? I think they have in a lot of ways. I think it's made me realize, especially with you know, this the philosophical approach to food, it doesn't have to be complicated, but also that connection that food has to memory and to history and family, I think is very important. I mean, one of the things that amazes me in the cafe, you know, if I cook a Victoria sponge and people just talk about when they had that as a child or the connection to their grandmother or connection to family events around a simple cake. So I think food with the smell and the texture and the history behind a particular dish is incredibly powerful as a form of memory for people. You mentioned you always wanted to have your own business and, and, and a cafe was a, was a dream. When, when did you start thinking about that idea of, of having your own cafe? I think it probably started in my early 20s. I was, you know, doing the backpacker thing and traveling through Europe. And I worked in a pub in England for about eight, nine months and used to help out in the bar, but also in the kitchen. And then I went to Italy working in a ski resort for a while and I was working in the kitchen there as well. And I think I realized that eventually this is something I would really like to do, just to be able to bake my own food, to serve people and to be involved in the customer service side of it and just try and create something very simple but something that reflects me as a person. Was it a hard decision to make, that sort of transformation? Tell tell us about that period of time when you decided you were going to bite the bullet and, and jump into the hospitality sector. I think. It took a lot of the initial decision when I realized that the cafe was up for sale was, oh, gosh, yes, I've got to do this, you know, and there's something I really need to do. Then thankfully, I have a very um, logical and objective partner who said, okay, let's sit down and think about this now. <laughs> you know, write down the pros and cons. Give me a business plan. Do a budget. You know, how are you going to support yourself? You know, you've got to take a drop in wages. You're going to have to employ staff. Think of the actual logistics of doing this giving up, you know, a job which has a guaranteed income to one which is always going to be, uh, it's not the most stable form of employment. So I think after a lot of paperwork, a lot of Excel spreadsheets and a lot of pros and cons that I was very comfortable making the decision. I must admit the first day when I walked into the cafe and took it over on my own, I did have that moment of thinking, oh, what earth have you done? But <laughs> but I think because we did so much planning before we took over the business and we put in the offer, I was very comfortable that I would be able to do it. I knew there was going to be moments of panic and I knew it was going to be a lot of hard work. But I think because of a lot of very careful planning enforced on me, the decision when it was made wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And I think it was at that time in my life I wanted that career change. What surprised you about uh, running a cafe? Surprised me in a lot about it was, I mean, I knew it would be hard work. I was quite surprised how much making coffee all day takes a physical toll on your body. I must admit I wasn't prepared for the aching shoulders quite as much. 
But also what has surprised me is how wonderful it can be just to sit and talk to somebody over a cup of coffee and how also what has amazed me is how your brain alters. You know, you can go from remembering facts about philosophy and talking about social change and constructions to remembering an incredible number of different coffee orders and how that connection changes. It's just because when I first started, I thought I'm never, ever going to remember people's coffee orders. But it just amazes me how your brain alters to the situation and the environment you're in. So, I mean, they're not the most deep and thoughtful things about what has surprised me, but they have surprised me that I can remember people's coffee orders. You've, you've had the business a couple of years now. What's, what's it like in the connections that you formed? Do you have any stories of the connections with the community that you formed through the cafe? Yeah, the community has been wonderful and getting to know members of the community. I mean, I lived in the village, but because I was always commuting to work before the cafe, I didn't really know many people in the village. But just the wonderful members of the community have come in all through both lockdowns and kept me going. You know, there's one wonderful woman, Joy, who came in during the first lockdown you know, all her activities had stopped because of the lockdown. She was living on her own and she used to wear a different dress or a different jumper or a different pair of earrings every day when she came in and got dressed up because that was the outing for the day. And that was really special to share that and be part of that. And the fact that people come in now, I know when they've had new grandchildren um I know when they, where their holidays have been, they come and tell me the fact that they come and, you know, certain members of the community come and take the coffee grinds to go on worm farms or share in community gardens or go in their neighbours' veggie patches. It's really lovely to know that, you know, even the simple thing as coffee grinds can be go back into the community. And it's just really lovely. You made a bit of a name for yourself with your baking. Uh, tell us a bit about the food offering that you have. Uh, it's very simple. It's uh, um, We bake our sausage rolls and we make all our own pies now as well and our cakes. My philosophy on cake baking is keep it simple. I'm pretty heavy-handed in the kitchen. You know, pastry is a bit of my nemesis. So my cakes tend to be something I'd be no good doing a light, fluffy super light sponge so my cakes are very much I suppose going back to you know being English I like a lemon drizzle cake a sea cake and uh, cakes which are based on lots of butter lots of sugar and um, can stand up to my heavy handedness but what has amazed me about cakes is about 18 months ago I did a carrot cake just as a bit of a retro bake theme and I'm still making three to four carrot cakes a week and I never thought that carrot cake would be something I'd be turning out in such vast quantities every week so but I like to explore with cakes too this week I did one with polenta the other week I did one with sage you know just exploring with different flavors but keeping it that really nice dense cake density to it as well. You, you are situated in a small little village, but has the clientele changed as um, society's opened up again and people are travelling? Um, we've, unfortunately, Mount Victoria suffered quite heavily with COVID. The um, guest house across the road had to close their cafe. The vegan cafe had to close down and has just a new cafe in its place has just 
reopen. So we've been fairly quiet since the second lockdown. Things are starting slowly to pick up now, but we've, and also because of rail closures, landslides, it's been quite a rough couple of, you know, times since the second lockdown. So I've, with business, we've had to, again, think about altering it in many ways, reducing the number of things we do, pulling it back to quite a basic offering. But we're hoping with the cooler weather and if we possibility of snow that things might improve in the village. Well, the Blue Mountains is an extraordinary um, place in Australia. Um, Mount Victoria, the suburbs all around. Well, what do you love about that sort of region that you're living in? I love, especially Mount Victoria, I love the fact that we are just on the cusp of the Blue Mountains, two minutes down the road from where I live, you go down into Hartley Valley. Um, I love the clearness of the air, the bush, and I love also being up here, of course, the sense of community. You know, they talk about small villages or small towns. You have to live there for 20 years to be normal or accepted as part of one of the community I mean, I've been here four years and everybody accepts us. Everybody's very friendly, very welcoming. And I think that I just, to me, the Blue Mountains and the bush is, I, I grew up in the country in England. I love woods and to be so close to nature every day, I pinch myself and can't believe how lucky I am to live up here. You know, we have kangaroos come in the garden and even at the cafe, we had a little echidna in the back garden last year. You know, to be surrounded by such beauty every day is a real privilege. You've had the, the cafe a couple of years now. Has, has the experience changed you? I think it's made me more tolerant, I hope. <laughs> it's, um, it's forced me to evaluate the fact that work isn't everything that you have to take time out from time to time, which is a bit hard when your business is only five minutes down the road. Um, you know, that tempting to always just nip back. But I think, too, it's allowed me to be a bit more creative, I've, you know, to think about food in different ways, but also realise that the simplicity of your ingredients and your food is just as important as having a dish which has multiple layers and a complexity of exotic ingredients that I now do appreciate more and more that just basic cooking with very simple primary ingredients. Does, does your men, menu offering change with the clientele? Do they have suggestions and, and wishes that affect the way that you uh, cook in the kitchen? Uh, not a lot, actually. Um, I know the locals, they prefer it if I've, I've got to have a carrot cake. You know, I cannot take carrot cake off the menu despite a, several attempts that has to stay on the menu. I must admit, I do change the sausage rolls a bit for the weekends. I do a pork and fennel, which always sells more on the weekends than in the week. But I try and keep everything seasonal as well. I have a lovely gentleman in the village who brings me in a bunch of rhubarb every fortnight. So um, when there's rhubarb on, fresh, we cook with I cook with rhubarb. But no, people come in, and I don't. I haven't had to change much actually, which is quite interesting because I'm always open to ideas of new things to bring in, and I'm always asking the locals if you know would they like this or something slightly different. But people seem to appreciate the fact. Food is what it says it is. 
You know, if it's a beef sausage roll, it is a beef sausage roll. And if it's a Victoria sponge, it's just a Victoria sponge, you know, fresh cream and jam. Well, you've had the most extraordinary um, transition of careers. What do you love about what you're doing? I love meeting people. I love watching people eat my food. I think I can't believe still to this day that people actually enjoy and love what I eat. I find that quite a privilege to cook for people and just to watch the joy in the meeting it, but also to meet people and hear their stories. I've just, over the years, the two years I've been in the cafe, I've met the most incredible people. You know, a while ago, we had a lovely gentleman come into the cafe and he lived out the other past and he was going into Sydney to train to be a regional paramedic. But he'd had a career as a shearer and he was doing this career shift. And just to hear his story was really lovely and quite a privilege to meet people. And people who came to Mount Victoria, you know, in the 60s and the 50s and the stories they remember when the village was, you know, almost as big as Katoomba is really lovely to hear those stories as well. Well, Sue, it's uh, it's lovely to hear what you've created there in Mount Victoria and uh, we've loved hearing your story today on Deep in the Weeds. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No, thank you very much for taking an interest in it. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very, very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.